Welcome to another episode of the Your Partner's Addiction podcast. I am Carolyn Ivers Tracy, and first of all, I just want to apologize in advance if you can hear the cicadas in the background for this whole episode. Hopefully you can't, but you know what? If you can, that's fine, because I love the cicadas, and I'm in the South, so it is what it is. (laughs) So many of you feel very clear that your partner does indeed have an addiction, and it's absolutely a problem for them and for you. But some of you aren't quite sure. And that makes sense, because despite our desire for everything in the world to be one thing or the other... The reality is that there's a lot of nuance when it comes to the use of substances. It can feel confusing when there are two opposing narratives happening in our culture. One being that experimenting with substances is normal, and there are plenty of things that are totally acceptable for normal use, like having a drink after work, or even binge drinking at a sporting event or a party. And marijuana is much more socially acceptable these days. In places where it's legal, there are dispensaries all over the place, and it's even used as a prescription for some mental health issues and physical health issues. And then there are school and work cultures where, like, taking an Adderall or even cocaine is a normal way to stay alert and focused and competitive in a high-performance environment. So it makes sense that some of you aren't totally sure what to think of your partner's substance use. Like what is okay and normal and what constitutes a substance abuse quote unquote problem. So my short answer to this is there is no objectively correct answer to this question in my opinion. (laughs) The only thing you need to decide is what you're okay with and what you're not okay with and why and you like your reasons. So this really comes down to your personal value system. I was raised in a family where nobody drank alcohol or used drugs. I didn't even know of anyone in my family who ever had alcohol in their home or even drank when they went out to dinner or anything. It just wasn't in my family's value system. The only exception to this was that my mom would have a glass of champagne in the rare event that we went to someone's wedding that served it. She even let me have a sip once when I was probably, oh, I don't know, middle school. Maybe I was in high school. I think it was middle school. It may have been elementary. I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Anyway, I hated it. So I was never around it, and therefore I did not care about alcohol at all. I took a few sips of whiskey and beer at a friend's house in middle school, but I didn't like it, so I never had enough to get tipsy or drunk. And... I didn't drink in high school or college, and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I even started to like the taste of wine. So throughout my 20s and 30s, I found a favorite wine and a favorite beer that I would have every now and then, but I never really used alcohol as a numbing agent to escape my feelings. It was just a good tasting drink that I had when I wanted to. My husband, on the other hand, was raised in a family where everyone drank alcohol on a regular basis. So think wine cellars and appreciating good whiskey and always having a drink with dinner. He had a completely different college experience than I did, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And so now as an adult, he drinks responsibly on a regular basis. Now, I could have decided when I was dating that I wanted to be with someone who didn't care about alcohol or substances could take it or leave it, and didn't drink regularly, if ever. 
If that were important to me, to be with someone who had the same views on alcohol that I did, I would have used that as a that value as a filter to filter out men who didn't match up with what I wanted. However, even though I've previously been with someone who struggled with addiction, I decided, for me personally, <laughs> that responsible alcohol consumption on a regular basis was not a deal breaker for me. If I also observed that this person was emotionally mature, a good decision maker, and held all of the other values that were really important to me. So to some people, like having a beer most nights after work is too much. To others, it's completely reasonable. This is because everyone has their own thoughts about what is okay and what is not. And this is why you will have to decide this for yourself. For me personally, regular drinking in a responsible way is okay, but I'm not okay with drug use, like any drug use outside of occasional marijuana use. And by occasional, I mean like maybe a few times a year. (laughs) I'm not okay with the use of heroin, meth, Adderall, or narcotic pills. I would probably be okay with the use of like psilocybin or other psychedelics when used with a professional mental health care provider or an experienced guide for a specific purpose, like maybe healing PTSD, but I wouldn't be okay with regular use just for the purpose of escaping real life. And I like my reasons for these values that I've chosen. I've had to think about all of these things in detail, and I encourage you to think about all of these scenarios in detail because it's not your job to police your partner's substance use. It's your job to choose a partner that matches up with your own value system. And it's not your job to decide if your partner has a problem or not. It's your job to decide if their level of use feels aligned with your values or not. So here's the big question most of you are here for. What do you do when you realize that your partner or spouse doesn't align with your own value system when it comes to substance use? Because for many of you, maybe your values did align when you got together, or at least you thought they did, or maybe you just didn't pay attention or ask enough questions, but now a few years later, something has changed and now they're using a lot more than what feels good to you. And this may be after you've already committed to them and maybe even had children with them. Here are your three options. The first option is the one that I recommend everybody start with. And if it doesn't feel good to you after you commit to this option for a certain period of time, then you can explore the other two options. This option is that you fully accept your partner and their substance use as they are and you do your own work to make peace with it, and you decide to live with it as you set your own healthy boundaries. Some examples of that would be, if they come home drunk, you don't say anything about it. You don't make passive aggressive remarks, you don't shame them, you simply go on with your day or your evening, setting any boundaries you need, like maybe sleeping in another room if you want, and the next day you continue continue your life however you want. Or if you smell marijuana on their clothes, you don't ask them about it, you don't start a fight, you just take care of yourself however you need to, whether that's lovingly removing yourself from a conversation or an interaction and then continuing on with your relationship. 
So this doesn't mean that you just let them walk all over your boundaries. I always recommend having strong boundaries when needed, but it does mean ignoring the behavior you don't like while still choosing to create connection in the relationship in a way that feels good to you. Just like if they have a habit of leaving a bunch of dishes on their bedside table, (laughs) if you don't want to make it a big deal, you just don't. You either leave them there and accept that they will have dirty dishes on their bedside table and you don't let it bother you, or you take them to the kitchen and wash them yourself just because you want to have a clean bedroom and you enjoy having a clean bedroom, not like out of spite or bitterness or something. You can consciously choose to not make something a problem for you. And here's why I recommend trying this first. The most common reason my clients have for not liking their partner's substance use is that it feels very outside of their control. When you observe your partner doing something that you don't like and you don't have control over, it feels unstable and unsafe. And your first urge is to try and change their behavior so that you can feel safe again. Except this never works long-term. You cannot control your partner's thoughts, emotions, or behaviors. But you do have a lot of influence in the way that your partner thinks, feels, and behaves. And this is just a natural phenomenon that I've seen over and over again as I work with clients who do their own healing work and commit to that first. When you commit to focusing on yourself and healing your own abandonment issues, control issues, building your own self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-trust, over time, you will notice that your partner will start to mirror that same energy. Now, it's probably not going to look the same as your work, and it won't be on the same timeline, but it is something that I've observed so many times in so many of my clients' relationships. And there's a logical explanation for why this happens. As humans, we're always responding to the other people around us. Humans have a measurable energy field that extends beyond our physical body. You can call it good vibes, bad vibes, aura, chi, life force, pheromones, whatever. There are a lot of different ways that this can be explained scientifically, but The easiest way for me to explain it is something called co-regulation. So when you're around someone who is at peace and confident and loving and accepting, you can feel that energy and you begin to mirror that. On the other hand, when you're around someone who's agitated, blaming the people around them, anxious or just dysregulated, then you can feel yourself slip into that state too if you are not consciously regulating yourself. This is why it can feel so good to go to a yoga retreat or a spa and be around other people who are calm and have good energy. And this is also why angry mobs can turn into incredibly destructive groups so quickly because humans feed off of each other's energy. So it works both ways. When you're in a relationship with someone who struggles with addiction and they're irritable or anxious or dysregulated, if you're not consciously regulating your own nervous system, you will find yourself mirroring their energy. And so that's when you two get into arguments and it quickly spirals down into a complete mess where you're just triggering each other back and forth and the conflict never resolves, but it just gets worse. 
when one of you chooses to be aware of your emotions and your breath and your thoughts and how you respond, basically when one of you is able to regulate yourselves in a healthy way, you start a new cycle, a new dynamic in the relationship. And your partner now has the opportunity to co-regulate to your energy. Now, just to manage your expectations. (laughs) In the beginning, when you first learn how to do this, when you first start to disengage from their energy and you start regulating yourself, your partner may freak out a little bit (laughs) that you're doing something new. So if they're used to you snapping back at them or engaging in the argument, they'll be confused when you start taking deep breaths and setting boundaries. (laughs) It may be unsettling to them because it's new. But when you consistently do this over time, they will usually begin to mirror your energy too. Now, I'm not saying this is going to solve their substance use, but it can dramatically change the dynamic in your relationship. And from that place, I have seen many of my clients' partners begin to rethink their substance use on their own without being nagged or shamed or pushed into it. Now, at a minimum, your relationship can begin to have more respect, better communication, more connection, and I think that's what really most of us want anyway. So that's your first option. When you realize that your partner's substance use doesn't align with your values, do your own work on building your ability to process and allow your emotions, regulate your own nervous system, set healthy boundaries, and build self-trust. And in the meantime, you completely accept your partner for who they are and choose to let go of trying to change their substance use. I recommend committing to this first for as long as it feels productive to you. And when you do, you may be pleasantly surprised by the results that you see in your relationship. The second option, when you realize that your partner's substance use doesn't align with your personal value system, is actually very similar to option one, but it's slightly, it's got a slightly different energy to it. So the second option is to just be very clear about your boundaries around their substance use. So if you don't want to accept their substance use at all, and you don't want to work on not making it a problem, then you just clearly state what you will accept and what you won't accept. For example, you tell them up front, I will not accept drugs or alcohol in my home. If you choose to bring those things into my home, I will ask you to leave. If you choose not to leave, I will make a plan for me to leave either in the short term or the long term. Another example would be, I will not be intimate with someone who is actively using drugs or with someone who has been drinking. If you choose to drink or use, I will sleep in the other room. So that was the second option, just set really clear boundaries. The third option is that you remove yourself from the relationship completely. If you find that your partner's substance use simply does not work for you, then you always have the option of ending the relationship and moving on to find a relationship where you do have a match in your value system on this topic. And that's completely reasonable. However, most of my clients simply are not ready for this step. (laughs) So that's why I recommend that for most people, you start with option one. Focus on yourself, your communication skills, your boundaries, your ability to process your emotions, and then you can decide how you want to proceed after you master all of those skills. But for the record, none of these options involves trying to force your partner to change their behavior. 
That is simply not an effective strategy. And you probably already know that if you're listening to this podcast, but maybe some of you haven't quite admitted that to yourself yet. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would love to try option one and just focus on myself and stop trying to control my partner, but I have no idea how to do that. Then the Your Partner's Addiction group coaching program is perfect for you. This is my group coaching program where I teach you how to allow your emotions and regulate your own nervous system and then decide what you want and how to set your own healthy boundaries and then evaluate your relationship from a place of self-trust and self-confidence. Many of my clients learn how to stay in their relationship without controlling their partner and while improving the quality of their relationship. And for those who choose to end their relationship and move on, they feel so much more empowered when they do. So if you're confused about how to deal with your partner's questionable or definitely problematic substance use, I invite you to schedule a free consultation with me this week and join the next round of the group coaching program. To book this free call with me, just go to my website, carolynivers.com, or click the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. I'll see you next time. 